This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Will. We're gonna Hi, t- I'm Trish. Shit. Sorry, Trish. I'm walking all over you. We're gonna talk. <laughs> we're gonna talk about an exchange of souls by Barry Payne, a 1911 novel, very short novel, four and a half hours, something like that, uh, with a huge afterword. So it's like I don't know, 45 minute afterward or something. Um, really, it's just an epilogue, epilogue, epilogue chapter, postscript is what postscript. It was that's what it's called. You're right. Right. Um, and uh, just at the end, it's it ends with uh, some Latin. I'm just going to read that, and then somebody will translate it for me, hopefully. Thus, then, I start out with pretty good hopes. Per iter tenebriscum und negant ridere quam. Only word I recognize there uh, is tenebre, or teneb... So that's shadow, or something like that? Um, dark. Darkness. 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 Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, do you have a translation for that, Paul? It's a, it's a, it's actually from the poetry of Catullus. It's a, it's ah awesome. okay. You so I read some Catullus. It's it's a quote to about they who now go through the dark journey to that place where no one comes from. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, the afterlife. Yeah. Misa, was it you? Or just being a woman. Oh, okay, Misa, was it you? Who all I was, about gender. Yeah. Was it you who I was recommending you read uh, *Ex Oblivione* by Lovecraft? You might yeah, have. I just did that. I just did an episode on that. Did you? It's a great story. One of my favorites. No, no, okay. I didn't. All right. Um. So it's basically it's a really short story. Uh, one of his shortest. And it's about a guy who wishes to die, um, wishes to not exist. Um, and it's got a sort of platonic explanation for that. Um, he uses drugs as is typical in a lot of Lovecraft story to achieve his, his dream situation. Uh, I, I think people would call it a dreamland story, but, um, I think that might be overstating the case on what it is. What, what, did, what, how do you describe it, Evan? Well, I've been I've been struggling with this because you have stories about uh, that are like Lovecraft dreamed something and you wrote it. Yep. And you have stories with dreamers where they actually go to another place. Those are the dreamland stories, I think. But mm-hmm. there are other stories set in the dreamlands, like the cat, purely cats like of the quest of the quest of Irinan or the cats of Ulthar. Right. And there's no real. Well, I think quest of Irinan does have a dreamer within that world. Right. I think Irinan is a dreamer, but cats of Ulthar is an example of that. So I don't know. The dream. The, the I don't know how to define doom. it. I, yeah. I'm saying you have to have a dreamer. There has to be a dreamer. Yeah, the doom that came to Sarnath. I don't think is got a yeah. dreamer in it, but it's. But it, the geography is set. I mean, he mentions that right. in dream, pure dreamland stories, those locations. Right. So I don't know. Ex Oblivione. I'm just. I've been saying there's got to be a dreamer. It, it's just. It's about a guy who who wants to pass through a gate of death and die in his sleep, basically. Um, and the, the ending's really good because it's kind of like this one, uh, the ending here, I guess. How, how's that translation go again, Paul? Oh, um, 
they who now go through the dark journey to the place where no one comes from, no one returns. Right. So I know that a couple of people here were on our last book that's sort of most related to this is that uh, horrible Heinlein novel. (laughs) Which one? There's so many. (laughs) No, I will fear no evil. I think I'm the only one who liked it. No, no, I liked it too, but it's also horrible. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a. I, I liked it too. You should see yeah. the show notes on that thing. It's crazy. Um, I'm yelling at Heinlein the whole time. <laughs> yes, you are. It was hilarious to be on that podcast. In any case, um, that book is kind of this book without as much kissing. But I do want to talk about uh, how much kissing is going on in this book. <laughs> there's, there's a lot less than you might expect, given you know there's a marriage proposal and uh, a marriage and that sort of thing. Um, but actually, the title, An Exchange of Souls, is a synonym for kissing. It's not a well-known mm-hmm. or thought-about synonym for kissing. Um, but if you think about how old married couples uh, deal with each other in the mornings when they're going off to work or whatever, um, they do that little ritual, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the idea of an exchange of souls, right? And in fact, a synonym for soul, uh, I, I mean, I think we get a lot of stuff sort of fucked up by just uh, translations of uh, biblical works. <laughs> Um, is uh, spirit, right? And it's related to the word uh, uh, aspire, which is about breathing, uh, expire and inspire, right? And that's how God creates humans, is by ex- exhaling on them, right? That mm-hmm. uh, that idea of the breath being the soul, and when you die, you stop breathing. It's very, 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 very basic, uh, to humanity. Not, not to get too esoteric, I do think there are Christian theologians who, who say there's body, soul, and spirit. And yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. They, the origin they, of they, Alexandria they, is one of those. They get themselves like worked soul, up into all sorts like of nets. Spirit is like your memories and mm, your experiences. Ropes. And mm. soul is something beyond that. Yeah. Well, I'll throw, Although I haven't read origin in quite a while. I'll throw in a Vorkosiverse reference and say that on that planet, um, Bariar, uh, your word is taken absolutely serious. And they say that your word is your breath and your breath is your soul. Mm. Mm. Oh, nice reference there, Trish. (laughs) Uh, So... What do you go? What? How? How deep is this book? Because I read some other Barry Payne. I don't. I. Uh, Paul, were you on our our one for um, the werewolf one uh, with the yes. un, the undying thing? I believe I was. Yes, I believe you were too. But um, you know, it might have been you in another form. Might um, be in another form. I. I found I found this novel frustrating. Yes. Uh huh. Interesting. I, 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 I mean, I, I mean, I, the, the novel doesn't know where to go with its gears, especially yeah. at the end, where we suddenly start getting supernatural events coming out of nowhere. It's like, where did this come from? This is not set up by anything earlier in the plot. Suddenly, he's us having what, basically contact from beyond the grave. It's like, what the hell? You haven't set this up. You haven't earned this. This doesn't make any sense. You just like. It's almost like he's like threw a dollop of that in there. I mean, you, you set up this whole idea. We we have this long ramp up of of, of, of these two characters meeting, and 
this, this basically discussing philosophy and and medical science. Then we have the actual death and this and the return of the soul supposedly in in the, in the woman's body. And there's the whole we're going to try to undercut that wherever we can and say oh, no, actually maybe she actually learned this stuff. Not taking not taking a solid position on whether or not the events are real, and then he died. Then she, he, they die, and then we get supernatural events out of nowhere, and then that's it. Totally out of nowhere, because when 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 um when he was in her body, she was physically changing. Like that's that's got to come. That's sort of supernatural like it what it i didn't feel like it came out of nowhere he was he was building toward it uh from like halfway through the book i think the, the, the metamorphosis um, yeah the, the whole metamorphosis thing was the was the beginning of that I'm, I'm well not, if you acknowledge there's some kind of relationship between mind and body seems this novel seems to go from for, then we usually think the other way like how does the mind control the body right mm-hmm. that's like the Dick cartesian problem Mm-hmm. Right, but I, I thought it was interesting that you know the change in mind affects body. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that before. Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't feel that the supernatural no. stuff was unfair because you had the premise all along from uh, oh chapter ten when the action actually started happening that you know the mind is separate from the body, and so an afterlife is not at all unreasonable given that. But I felt cheated by either chapter 16 or 17, whenever it was, that the railway accident happened. Because mm. yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. What was that? You know, yes. I was waiting for a resolution, you know, was um, was uh, Dr. Myas going to try and suppress himself or remove himself so that Alice could be Alice again? I kind of had the feeling that was what he was going for. Mm. But then, you know, train wreck, and so we never actually find out. Uh, uh, You know, I was kind of expecting Alice to, or Alice Daniel to tragically die at the end also, but I was not expecting a railway tragedy. (laughs) So I was, um, I was more interested at the end of the novel. I Maybe not frustrated like some of you were. I was, I spent most of this novel quite bored. Um, yeah, I'm with you, man. And at the end, I got more interesting. And here's what I think is going on. Here's my take on it. Like, have, you guys read Jekyll and Hyde, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. It, it's basically a guy who is stuck in this Victorian world, this rigid, you know, world of mm-hmm. Victorian norms and morality. And he wants to party. He wants to <laughs> you know, run over, walk over kids and stuff. You know, <laughs> that's how I work it up all night. <laughs> and. <laughs> And so he has to, like, become high to do that, right? Um, now, here we got um, – I'm bored the whole time. And it's this very banal Victorian stuff, like wills and, mm-hmm. you know, contracts and – I mean, the science. The blackmail. Don't forget the blackmail. Philosophy, but, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff is going on. And then at the end, you know, Myas, who's dead, he, he gets to be a woman. And he gets to free himself from quite a lot of that. Now, what was disappointing was he ends up dressing like a man. He, he, like Heinlein wouldn't have done that, right? Heinlein mm-hmm. would have just totally embraced the femininity of it. Mm-hmm. But still, I, I think what interested me at the end was here you have a, this 
like this Victorian morality that gets transcended basically by becoming a woman. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about Barry Payne at all. Maybe you that's do. what that's like, why what I, I was asking. Is, yeah. You know, what's you know, how does he feel about this world he lives in? But, you know, it's maybe there's liberation. And this is like men who don't understand the reality of life for women. Mm. You know, it's like a mystery for them. Right. That's kind of cliche of the Victorian era. Right. Like men didn't understand women at all. Right. Mm. They yeah. put them up on that pedestal. They had that separate spheres things. And, and it was just there's this huge gap. Right. So Barry Payne's like, okay, well, I'll transfer this consciousness to this, of this man, to this woman's body, and it can be kind of a type of liberation. I just didn't think it, it went far enough. So why not just have a train accident? I so, didn't oh, see that as portrayed as liberation in the book at all. In fact, he said, uh, 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 the the. Uh, Daniel and Alice's body said that he wanted to wear women's clothes. I mean, to wear yeah. men's clothes and present yeah, as he a man because he would have the freedom think... of movement, and uh, which a woman would not have. Yeah, yeah I think so... he missed a chance here. To do something yeah. a little bit more radical. But what if it's what if it's the woman becoming the man? That's kind of like like I kind of read it that way. Mm. In terms of the, like, exciting, like, here's, like, this sort of queer story about transformation, like, like that's, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that was the, like, exciting undercurrent there. I mean, it's a, it's a subtextual reading. Uh, I want to go deep into the subtextual because, uh, honestly, I, I hear all your guys' you know, criticisms and analysis, and I think you're right. Um, but I also think that we might be supposed to be reading this very subversively, as in our narrator doesn't really know the story of what's going on. So is, was, oh, yeah. there, was there a murder? <laughs> and I think we're supposed to say, no, absolutely not. He's covering up uh, because it's his job as a chivalrous man. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but look at the relationship that the, the, these two people had and their class relationship and their uh, emotional relationship or lack thereof and I think I think Barry Payne, Barry Payne's very subversive so Misa you were on the undying thing too I I re recall I looked it up um, I was thinking somebody else was on there with us so do you remember that one very well was that by him yeah, it's by him and oh. it was all about this underground family secret, right? There's right. this this neighborhood, or not neighborhood. There's this like estate, and in the past, there's this sort of queer relationship uh, with a child that was born. It's basically it's it, it, for those who haven't read it yet, you all should because it's really good. Um, it's basically like the Hound of the Baskervilles, but it's not a Scooby-Doo story. It literally is like a, it literally is like a supernatural thing. Um, and there's no, uh, uncovering the mystery and then finding out it was old man Willard. It's the opposite of that. It's like uncovering the mystery and then like there's a, a massive collapse of an earthquake, earthquake style collapse, um, destroying the family legacy. Um, which is probably some sort of um, sin 
tainting the genetics, right? That, that's how I felt about this. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. This is, this is all about divine retribution. Like he says, um, as it were, by murder and theft, I, Daniel Myas, I'm cognizant and I'm due elsewhere. Like he considers himself a murderer. And when he says, I am due elsewhere, I was, I was wondering, well, where is he due? Is mm-hmm. he due for judgment? Mm-hmm. Because he was uh, killed twice. He was killed twice for the mm-hmm. same thing, mm-hmm. right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be play God. So they killed him once, and then they killed him again. Who like, smashed up all that equipment? Do this, huh? Who smashed up all the equipment? Daniel Myers in the in the body of the woman. Yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, they they say that they they, they smashed up the equipment. I mean, basically but we don't see it on screen. We don't see it on screen. That's that's what is reported so, to our narrative. Wait, so so Jesse, your reading of this story is is a story of like uh, uh, class revenge and like gender swap. Yeah, uh, I think it, and, and it's and it's the woman who's making the journey of class revenge and gender swap. It's to, very interesting, right? Because it doesn't. There's no evidence, especially in later on in the book, with our stupid narrator. Who doesn't really? I mean, he's chivalrous, but he he's so timorous, and uh, if I'm using that word right, he's so um, conventional that that the this is like uh, not a Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, where Doctor Watson is very yeah. fascinated by Sherlock Holmes. He is basically uh, a tool of the main, the person who wants something, the protagonist, and then he sort of takes his own stuff away from it, right? Or of the two protagonists in yes. your reading. Yes. Well, because there's two different protagonists in the story under your reading. There's there's Mayas, and uh, then there's his like would be bride. Like, yeah, become, but we see so little uh, from her point of view. So this is why it, I mean, this is why uh, I think it, people point. Maybe maybe this is why people point to the thing on the doorstep by Lovecraft as being inspired by this book. Um, I think he's making those things much more explicit, much more explicit. And maybe I'm reading back from that, looking at this, but that's actually how I think, like, just... The- I, I, I think possibly you are. I mean, the thing on the doorstep, I mean, if, if, if it was inspired by the story, I mean, Lovecraft takes it to a different level. And it's I think a much better be, story. I think it might be reflecting of, backwards on in this, terms so. of being, In terms of being explicit about what it's doing. But it also is very subtle too. So, so the question is: Does, does Bear Payne even know what what you're reading? Your reading of him may be something you're you're bringing to the well, story that's there, but that he didn't actually. So this is actually intending. This is one of like I've read a few Barry Payne things. So I read the Undying thing. I read um, uh, a short story of his called um, Oh shit! Uh, it's called The Moon Slave. Um, which is set in France, um, for, sort of fairy tale France. And then there's another one of his that was actually the first one I ever read of his called The Glass of Supreme Moments. And that's a very early story. It's from 1892. Um, uh, this is, you know, a few years later. Uh, as it says on the Wikipedia entry for Barry Payne, Louis, Robert Louis Stevenson <laughs> called him uh, or compared him to Guy de Maupassant. And Guy de Maupassant, I think, he was sort of much more passionate than Barry Payne is. So it's not a perfect comparison, but Barry Payne is like sort of a, a less passionate Philip K. Dick <laughs> in a certain sense. So in the glass of Supreme moments, um, 
a guy who's he's kind of a student and he's very envious of his his compatriots um his fellow students who are like graduating and you know going on to exciting careers um where he is sort of doesn't know what he wants to do he basically gets a glimpse into the future of their lives um uh and then dies <laughs> Um, and the way he dies is, it's very subtle because one way we, we read the story, it's like there's this supreme goddess, basically a, uh, Aisha kind of figure. Um, she has a mirror on the floor that allows him to see the future. Um, he actually ascends out of his, his study or Oxford room or whatever, uh, through the fireplace and up into the secret room. Uh, where this lady is, it's I, th- I think of it like as a being a forest as well. And she she shows him the future of his friends, um, and then shows him his future, and then he dies. And that's the end of the story. Um, but the way to read it is both as you know, sort of a glimpse of of reality, and also as um, he's dying of smoke inhalation because <laughs> the flu was closed on his on his fire, which is. Uh, also the story of, of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, by the way. <laughs> we'll move on past that. I'll just drop that bomb. Um, and, uh, The Moon Slave is really cool story too. It's about a, uh, he, he's very interested in women. Um, kind of like Philip K. Dick. Um, not like, uh, Heinlein, more like Philip K. Dick. Um, in The Moon Slave, uh, there's a princess. Uh, who doesn't want to marry at all. She does marry because it's her duty. Um, she marries a fat king sort of guy. Um, and she does not like her wifely duties. Um, but what she does like is that he has a garden and in the garden there's a, um, hedgerow maze, you know, like a, I don't know, a labyrinth. Um, yeah. and she would mm-hmm. sneak out there, uh, once a month, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, when the moon is up. Uh, moon is full and dance and she would dance incredibly and uh one of the days she goes out and does this uh she gets a dancing partner um it's either pan the god or the devil mm-hmm. um and obviously they're very related characters you know with the hoofs um mm-hmm. and it's never clear um uh it's kind of like a story about menstruation which is pretty hilarious for 1901 story, you know? Um, and it's, it's also about, you know, wanting to not be who you are or not be in your position. So he, I think he is very subtle and very sensitive to this stuff. So I can't say a hundred percent, um, that you're supposed to read it subversively, but the, the Victorians didn't have Twitter. So they're very focused. They're, they can fo- focus pretty well. <laughs> You know, they can, they can, I guess Edwardians, they can, they can focus pretty well. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was a pretty famous writer. Um, so I think he's doing pretty subtle stuff here. Um, I have a contemporary review if you want me to read it here. I think I might have read it. Uh, I I put on Twitter. So this is from the sketch. As long as it doesn't take 45 minutes. No, no, it's much, (laughs) much shorter than that. This is from The Sketch, which is a very high-end magazine uh, for the Richies. Um, mostly it had like ads for cars, um, which are very expensive items, t- 
tires, uh, again, very expensive items, airplanes. <laughs> oh, no, it didn't have ads for airplanes. It had uh, lots of stories about women flying airplanes and uh, gentlemen's clubs with airplanes. So it was like about high-tech fun toys like Teslas and, I don't know, hoverboards or whatever it is the rich people have as, as, as toys. And uh, a lot of... Um, uh, just for context, a lot of uh, Lord Dunsany stories were published in there. It was it, it was very short on fiction, like a page long or two pages maximum. Um, but this is a review. It's unattributed from June 14th, 1911. An Exchange of Souls by Barry Payne. Men are very much what they what and where they were. The ancients chose touching or horrific aspects of the material universe, accentuated them with the poet's imagination, and placed their dead in sweet, dim, colored fields, which they called Elysian, or left them to wander off, uh, sorry, wander among the black mud, unsightly, unsightly reeds, and unlovely, sluggish lakes of Erebus. Poets nowadays are very tired. <laughs> and all the chances under death's wings, uh, Nothing seems so good as to them as sleep. But science, capital S, uh, like any healthy young thing, is assertively awake and makes for, uh, makes for the laboratory. There to experiment in those old well-kept secrets on the origins of life, capital L, and in the purposes of death, capital D. She opens her eyes widely behind excellent glasses, carrying on thus the tradition of curiosity, which Poetry, capital P, was wont to pursue, with eyes shut and an open mouth for what the gods might send. Mr. Barry Payne's romance walks in this region of scientific curiosity. His hero proposes to produce an absolute demonstration of the determination of the ego. Well, he says, quote, in what does your self consist? You would probably tell me that it consists in the association of your mind and your body. Now, does it? When the mind has practically vanished and no longer suffices, even for a man's simplest needs, his life is still carefully preserved in an, as in an asylum. <laughs> this would not be the case if it were not believed that the man's self was still there. When the man's body is dead and has decomposed, it is held by all religious people that the, uh, that the man's self still persists, that his personality is continued in another world, and perhaps science has rather more to say for this view than most men of science are aware. All of which is abominably dull talk after luncheon, isn't it? <laughs> none, of, none of which before lunch or after will be called dull for a single page, seeing that it is Mr. Barry Payne who pulls the strings. What would really be proved, supposing that Dr. Myas and his fiancée actually exchanged souls or selves while under an anesthetic, as is suggested, remains ropped in the... Ropped. It's W-R-O-P-P-E-D. Ropped. <laughs> ropped in unscientific mystery. But the pain and... and this is small p. But the pain and uncanniness of what happened after that night with the soul of Daniel Myas became cognizable only through the mind and body of Alice Laid uh, are very evident. And the relation of the affair by a quiet dilettante, is the kind of craft one would expect from a craftsman like the author. So, it's not so much a review of the book as a recommendation, I guess? Mm. Oh. Like, just the book spurred some musings. <laughs> mm. 
what do you guys make of the character names? Well, we did you notice that um, that um, Myas was reading Alice in Wonderland at one point, mm. and mm-hmm. he became engaged to Alice. Mm. Uh, Alice is, went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and, and Alice is from the Greek for truth. Uh, and what about her last name? Um, when we're introduced to her, I, I, I love that she's introduced as Miss Laid. <laughs> what, what, what has been mislaid? Right? A laid is a late, uh, the spelling yeah, on, the spelling on it is L-A-D-E, but it's, yeah, which is an archaic way meaning taking on goods or cargo. Mm-hmm, laden, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also what happens to her. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. the, her soul weight is doubled at one point. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, what happened to uh, Daniel's brains or thoughts? Uh, I guess not brains. His his thoughts, his, his knowledge um, wanes and ebbs, right? Uh, and then flows and waxes, um, depending yeah. on. And, and also, what does Daniel's? I mean, you were talking early before about about him being judged. What does what does Daniel mean in Hebrew? God is my judge. Mm. Ooh. So I I think Nerfay was picking names very deliberately. Yeah, and he's he, it was definitely a smart dude. Um, and they're not super common names either. Myas is actually kind of interesting because it sounds very Greek. I haven't looked it up. Anybody? Um, uh, I, I think he, I think he's like, he's doing a good job, um, <laughs> for what he's doing. But all the background stuff, like the, yeah, I Myas will be your- is. Boy's name of Dutch origin, meaning son of the earth. Okay. Well, he's very it's, grounded it's then. Sh- it, it, it's, short, it's short of uh, Bartholomew. Now I'm going to look that one up because that one I don't know. So uh, what I would I want to point to is like all the stuff about the, the, um, the will, the estate, the bundling the mom off to New York, um, all the sort of boring Victorian um, fiddly bits that we don't normally care about because we are science fiction fans. Um, I think his background for the fact that all of that stuff and like even Daniel's interest in food. Yeah. Right. It's like all background for, I think, a kind of point he's making or trying to make. Or a thesis he's making, or trying to ma- trying to figure out about what man's soul is, what not a man's, but just ma- humankind's souls are, and um, it, it it's kind of a Frankenstein story in a certain sense as well. He's got the lab, he's got the he's he's been scorned by his peers, um, but he's he's a happy soldier. You know, in this, he's enjoying himself. Um, but the fact that he, he has an Igor who's also his wife is kind of weird. So it, it's very subtle, I think. 
And, and even though, yeah, it feels like it's quote unquote boring, what, what I was telling, uh, Marissa was that basically the book doesn't have any of the stuff we care about until halfway in, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that's all set up. Um, yeah. and then when he does the thing, um, and we, we have those visits, um, we're distracted by the, the blackmail. And I think that is really paid off too. You think when we see that guy again, where is he? He's with the Salvation Army. That was interesting because he was a transform. He was like the other transformation in this book, right? And right. Yeah, that, that, that felt very Dickensian. That whole little subplot yes. there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and is it better to try and and do it yourself or to let you know? He's trying to save his soul, right? Life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And is he wrong? Remember, he's over. He's listening to uh, all, all his his um, blackmailers' accusations about what he is like and what kind of a scandalous man he is, right? Rather than making a confession, he's saying this guy who I blackmailed, he was a bad dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he must have led thousands astray. No, that was clearly projection of his own guilt. I mean, it's clear to yeah. me. I'm not sure right. if that's what Barry Payne intended. Right. But, uh, but who's also telling the story is the guy who's telling his own story, right? Of course. And so when we think about, like, we our, our protagonist, I guess that's not who he is, our viewpoint character. Yeah, he, he has no Our narrator. Oh, our narrator. Yeah. Um, empty uh, protagonist. Yes, the empty protagonist, the our viewpoint character who is eventually reconciling himself to his own coming death. Yeah. Uh, um, is telling this story of an incident in his life, and there's a line. He he actually he's quite witty. There's a number of lines um that are good coming out of his mouth or attributing to him, and one of them near the end he says something like um. As men get older, they are more likely to become neat. <laughs> um, and so he wants to wrap up this mystery. Um, and then what does he do? He sort of expands it <laughs> rather than wraps it up by having the phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, phone calls, plural. Um, and then he goes off in the same way that Alice, uh, Daniel were going off to the countryside, right? To live a... Uh, a, a time away from the people they knew. So the fact that our protagonist or viewpoint character basically has a secret cabin in the woods or cottage in the woods where he's country got home, a, even country home. Kind. He's got a servant there. He's going to send off mislaid, uh, to this place. And then she's killed on the way. Um, that's what he does in the well, end. She's not, goes, no, she's not. She's not killed on the way. It's, it's just that she never gets there. Is she, was, the, was the line going there, or was she doing something else? She was doing a bunch of stuff to go there, but yeah, right. But she wasn't actually killed on the way. But then, then, well, then he tells the train accident, tells, the train quote unquote accident. So accident. Uh, I'm I, I, at that point in the book. I'm like, this is too early for that person to have died. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, this person's not dead <laughs> is what I'm saying. It was a, it's all like part of a scheme 
Now, the way I'm writing it in my head is that remember how this story works? Uh, uh, the, the, the premise on this, you can't, according to, um, Daniel Myas's, um, scientific theory on how exchanges of souls work, it can only be from one gender to the other gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Now, there's actually and you can be anesthetized too, right? Well, maybe you can make maybe you can do it without it, but uh, well, okay. Maybe the people aren't You're willing. From the text, Jesse. Well, maybe the people. I mean, that an- anesthetic thing is actually in that other story too. I was mentioning earlier, the um, uh, the glass of supreme moments. There's mm-hmm. a, the smoke is a kind of anesthetic. It's basically a, you need to get into a hypnagogic state. You need to be not in your right mind, right? You need to okay. be somewhere else, I think. But more importantly, um, if you think about how it's used in the thing on the doorstep, right? This is actually a story about immortality and avoiding death, right? Mm-hmm. You can transfer your consciousness into, just like in uh, the Heinlein novel, uh, I Will Fear No Evil, you can transfer your consciousness into that of another person and live a whole new life. And then when that person gets old and decrepit you can transfer it into another right so this is um also you know it, it, it's a old story but it's you know there's fairy tales and stuff about it but it's in relatively modern stuff like altered carbon right they do it through uh more um practical terms maybe they crunch down the the equipment that he had made and put it in your cortical stack or whatever but it's a way of uh gender swapping uh, going into the body of, of, uh, somebody else. And that too is a story, if you recall it at all, uh, altered carbon about class. The rich, uh, what are they called? Meths, as in Methuselahs. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, never lack for bodies. And the poors and the convicts, who are essentially the same people, are, the subject of these sleeve, they become sleeves, right? So it, it's like a very, um, it's very built into this stuff. So I, I can't say that Daniel had an evil plan for sure, but there's a lot of evidence that he did. <laughs> or what if Alice had an evil plan? <laughs> I think Alice's revenge might be in there, uh, inside. Right? But as a subconscious thing, in the same way as in uh, the Heinlein, we've got the female spirit inside the physical brain of an old man in the body of a woman. Right? It's a it's a brain transplant story, um, but somehow the ghost of the girl that he's inhabiting is inside his brain. Uh huh. Okay. And then she becomes uh, he becomes a heterosexual woman. Okay. Right. So that kind of um play and physical change like the hair color change that was pretty weird yeah yeah that's why that's why i tweeted the word tuvix to you mm-hmm. early. <laughs> right. be, 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 because when he's when that says racial happy i kept i kept thinking of the voyager serial where neelix's neelix and uh tuvok start mer- get merged together mm-hmm. And, and and that that episode always annoyed me because they seem to be happy with their fused relationship, and Janeway just decides arbitrarily, no, you have to go back to the way you were. And it's like, 
really are, but they, from, from what we can see from everything in the episode, they're happy with their new existence. Why are you forcing them from their, from what is apparently something they want? Because they want? had contracts with the actors. Yes, <laughs> I know. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I I know that's 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 the Doyleist that's the Doyleist point of view. From a Holmesian point of view, it, it seems capricious for her to force yeah. them out of something they want. But I get Paul. Thinking. I have I have an answer to that question. Go ahead. Um. So like you know how like the Federation like always like seems really nice all the time, except for like I don't know Thank when you're God. like. <laughs> data yeah. and they're like litigating whether you have a right to live yes measure uh, of a man. yes yeah yeah i mean i think that like there's like uh like a bunch of like fucked up things in federation culture about like uh people and like normalcy that uh you know get it enforced in like these like really authoritarian ways and they only seem uh sort of normal from like an american point of view if that makes sense yeah okay that's 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 fair. I have not seen Picard yet, but but I know yeah, I don't 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 don't, don't. don't. I, 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 unless I you enjoy uh, really good comedy pieces. Two hours of analysis. <laughs> Speaking of uh, two hours of analysis and sensitivity reading, I I wrote a story on May fifth that I'm going to share with you. I I was trying to find a quote uh, else that I had tweeted, but I, I found this instead. Um, it's just. Uh, so I need you to be my sensitivity readers for this. And uh, if you see something yes, you don't like, just, let me know. I'll change it. Pressing strings here. <laughs> pressing strings is something that happened on the podcast. It's, I don't know. It's like six tweets long or something like that. Here we go. It's called it's called The Boy Who Really Got It by Jesse. Uh, furiously, the furious boy typed on his typewriter. He couldn't afford a computer to type on, so he was really mad about that, too. The furious boy felt his life was an illusion. So he was writing a protest email to God, even though he didn't know God's email address yet. Uh, for years, since he'd been a toddler, in fact, the furious boy had a vague feeling that his life was fake. And when he was finally denied a computer and given a typewriter instead, he figured that was all the proof he needed to show him he was not real. He finished the email with, quote, in conclusion, fuck you, God, if you even exist. And then he felt utter satisfaction in typing it. Oh, and he felt utter satisfaction in typing it. He'd really told God off. Then suddenly, as he was pulling the paper out of the typewriter, an awful giant face filled the window beside the furious boy's desk. How dare you, you little shit, said God. And just like that, the furious boy's corporeal form began waning into non-existence. That'll teach him, said God to himself, because nobody else was there. Then he slowly <laughs> climbed back in onto his cloud, flew up into the sky and began rechecking his Instagram follower account. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> so, Savage. Uh, do you guys know uh, about Daniel Dennett? Uh, he's a yeah. philosopher of mind. He, he got into a real good oh. Twitter beef with uh, Sam Harris a while ago. And they're, they're enemies now. <laughs> oh. Um, oh, good. Yeah, because Sam Harris is pretty stupid. Um, he's, he's one of those stupid smart people. Uh, he, he read a lot of books. He's written some books. He likes to meditate and he's just wrong about everything, basically. <laughs> In any case. Tell us how you really felt. And what he's right about isn't, aren't his ideas. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's funny, right? Cause he's very pop. He was very popular. I don't know if he still is. 
But anyways, um, the, the point I'm trying to make is that Daniel Dennett has a really interesting theory of, of what consciousness is. Uh, you know, the, like, I, I, I think there was a story of a consciousness transference, uh, and rich people trying to do it in the news recently, which is ridiculous. Um, I know Robert J. Sawyer's written books on this. Um, one's called Rollback, uh, you know, transferring your, your body into that of a robot or your mind into that of a robot, right? <laughs> um, but Daniel Dennett's theory as to what consciousness is, is basically, um, it's, it's an illusion. Um, and to define what, where you would find it in the brain, it's, he defines it kind of like this. It's the center of narrative gravity. Now, it doesn't tell you very much, but um, we think of a a, uh, a teapot. Teapot has a lid, a handle, and a spout, right? And they're usually roundish, right? Oval or circular on their base. And uh, you pour it, and when it's filled with liquid, uh, the, the base has a kind of center uh, that allows it to not fall over, right? Because the spout and the handle are neither too heavy to make it fall in one direction or the other. But we can imagine putting a heavy weight, like, a I don't know, a uranium block, and gluing it to the side of the teapot uh, or one end of the spout or the handle, and it would tip over uh, unless you fill it with more liquid. And maybe if you fill it with... I don't know, lead, then it won't fall over, right? So every object in the universe has a uh, center of gravity, you know, like the planet Earth, uh, a potato, I don't know, the cup I'm holding in my hand. Anything that has mass. Right, anything with, with mass has a center of gravity. And this can be demonstrated. With brains, we we, you know... People like uh, Rene Descartes tried to figure out where you were inside your brain. And he was saying, oh, it's it's the pituitary gland or whatever. Um, no, it's not. Turns out, you know, people take, you know, Phineas Gage takes basically a bolt through the head. And he's still a person. He's just not the same person he was before because his center of narrative gravity has changed. Now, it's not as simple as that, right? It's not like you... Like have a big bulge on one side of your head and more brain in there, then your your uh, brain is di- uh, you're different, but your personality will be different uh, based upon not where physically the material is inside your head, but mentally. And it, when you look at it that way, um, looking for a particular part of the brain where the consciousness is held makes that whole question and mistake go away and that's really what souls are I, i'm fairly convinced that it's a mistake to even think of this you have to invite him oh, i'm back in I, as he usual jesse that was the best uh, as usual i didn't i don't know when i dropped out but um, Part of so it, when you said you basically said too. souls aren't real souls or aren't like real. souls are a mistake and then i to, disappeared like, into an ether mm-hmm. yeah i dissolved into a into a cloud of my own making. Uh, um, lucky you didn't go into in a puff of logic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> nice. Uh, Douglas Adams um, reference. So, so, Jesse, so after all this, 
Can we transfer it to the computer? No. I mean, you, you can make it. Right. You can, like, I used to have dreams where my, my dad died when I was really young. And I used to have dreams where he was alive. And, like, it was all a mistake because I didn't see his dead body, you know. They covered it up. I, not covered it up. They just, like, I was not at the hospital when he died. I saw him at the funeral in the sense that I saw his coffin, right? Or whatever. Actually, he didn't have a coffin. He, he was cremated. But the important part is um, I had dreams that he was not dead after he was. And one of these dreams was really cool, really cool dream, uh, very science fiction-y. Um, I was walking on the beach, and I saw a sort of a – it was a – not octopus, but it was a little – oh, it's um, one of those uh, spongy things that look like umbrellas. Jellyfish? Jellyfish. jellyfish. Giant <laughs> jellyfish-style thing, right? Um, and – uh, swimming, uh, towards the beach or coming out of the sea was, uh, one of these tendrils and it was my father. But attached to the tendril, uh, my father was attached to the tendril. And I'm like, you're not dead. And he's like, yeah, I'm no, I'm alive. I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I got eaten by this monster thing. <laughs> um, but it's reconstructed me completely. And I'm like, dude, I can visit with you again. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, you can. And I said, what would happen if I cut off the, uh, the tendril? Would you be, be back alive again the way you were? And he says, I don't know. So then I woke up. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, glad you Jesse, didn't finish I, that dream, Jesse. That would have been horrible. Well, maybe, maybe I guess not. I'm not. If you cut off the tendril and your dad disappeared or something. So, uh, go for it, Evan. No, I just, I, I still have this question though. Like, mm -hmm. if, like, the bolt through the head or you get shot in the Finish head gauge, yeah. and you survive and your personality's changed, I think that demonstrates our, our, our soul, our consciousness, whatever you want, word you want to use. Our spirit is, is physiological. It's mm -hmm. coming out of the meat. So I don't see why that can't be replicated. Why that so, can't be in a So robot. it's, uh, if, it, if, it, if it's just meat, why, yeah, yeah. It, because so that's what I'm saying. It's a software thing. Neuron. It's a software thing. So I mean, you've got your hardware and you got your software. Um, you're programmed your whole life. So yeah, you could make a clone of that material. Um, and it wouldn't, we wouldn't call that a soul. We just call it a copy, right? Hey, yeah. We get a new vocab word for it or whatever. Soft, you know. Hey, Evan. Yeah. Um, have you ever read, um, Cytine by CJ Chera? Mm hmm. No. The book is basically about what you're, uh, what you and Jesse are talking about oh. here, like um, the the hardware and the software, like what you have to do to, uh, you know, a copy of a person to um, make them into the person you want yeah. a copy of. Mm -hmm. But it, it seems to me, in humans at least, like the hardware is the software. Like if I no, because you have experience neurons. But that's all hard. That's that's physically in the neuron connections, right? But you have to program. I mean, I don't know enough about like, brain. Yeah, I mean, I don't but think it's like you can't like if you can recreate those connections, isn't hmm. it? Think about think about uh, like I was saying, my computer uh, before I turned on, yeah. I turned it off to reboot. I'd had it on all week, so it had a lot of stuff going. Now, when I rebooted it, it ran a lot better <laughs> because not all that stuff's in the RAM, you know. So this is what I mean. Uh, I have all sorts of silly theories about you know what sleep is for. Um, 
<laughs> it might be like it's just rebooting basically um we 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 don't really know but what we do what we do know is that all the studies looking for souls like what happens in the final hilarious bits of this book where he gets a phone call in the middle of the night when he's staying up too late and it's not really a perfect phone call this is like <laughs> spiritualism right uh of the period that Conan Doyle would all be about but i think um i think uh pain is much more skeptical than Conan Doyle was, right? He's basically taking the piss out of this sort of... Doyle wanted to believe. Foolishly, yeah. foolishly, foolishly, yeah. blindly wanted to believe. And well, we, people do stuff like that. They have massive character flaws. Um, I don't know if spiritualism is a character flaw, Jesse. It, it, it's a character flaw in the sense that it makes you make mistakes and give money to grifters, Right. <laughs> What if that does something for you, though? Like, I mean, well, the, some people like going to uh, astrology things. I, I guess if they want to throw their money away and it's their money, and we don't need to tax it to help other people, okay. But I think, I just Ron, think Ronald Reagan's a, wife, you're making uh, a was wasting judgment her money. here on like spiritualism and astrology. That is not like there's not like a neutral like, you know, like. It's not a character flaw. I think it's a character flaw. If, if I was doing that, I'd be ashamed of myself. I mean, right. I, I'm not. I'm not judging. You're not Arthur it. Conan Doyle. I'm not Arthur Conan Doyle, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a reincarnation, but I don't believe in that bullshit. <laughs> what, what I what I think is cool is that this this thread of of um, you know this this mind transference it's 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 changed from the the sort of quasi spirituality uh of i don't know earlier stuff and then in this he's making it scientific right but he's hiding the science from us and then mm-hmm. he goes back to uh, combining the spiritualism with the wires right they thought at the time when conan doyle was doing stuff they thought that they were like high tech when they were doing spiritualism right and if you look about how uh, Ghostbusters did it, right, they did the same thing. They have like a what a EM detector. No, what was the little Egon device that he's holding? And his the two wings come up as the the psychokinetic energy they're measuring, right? right. <laughs> oh, PK, P- P- yes, P- PK right? Proton packs. And yeah, and they they deal with ghosts by using uh, proton projectors, right? Um, all sorts of nuclear. It's so hilarious. That's why it's so such a funny thing because they're mashing up. Um, woo, spooky haunted house with no. You, this is science. <laughs> you know that Dan Aykroyd believes in that, though. Yeah, he he again. He's one of those um, crazy. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, a widespread flaw. like these are widespread pa- practices in our culture, though. Like like ghost hunting. Like oh, it's yeah. like it's modern spiritualism, right? It's yeah, it's yeah. totally the same thing. Yeah, uh, it, it's like hunting Bigfoot. It's it's uh, it's the thing men unmarried or men who are married who don't like their wives. Do on the weekends to get some exercise, <laughs> and and the girlfriends who go think, along I with it. I think our world would be a little bit lessened if they didn't if they didn't exist. Me too. Oh well, I mean they're they're definitely comedic. Right? Well, no, like like they're they're doing something that like they're playing a culturally yeah. important role. <laughs> 
they're breaking from the pattern. <laughs> there, there's the uh, the essential workers. <laughs> there's the ghost hunters. <laughs> Look, um, I have no problem with people doing it. I think it's funny, uh, but it. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with the people who are doing it. I don't think because I. I mean, I you also have like something like <laughs> six not reading billion religious people on this planet, Jesse. Yep, that are essentially engaged in the same thing, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So if you, once you kind of throw that out, you're you're rejecting the vast reality of the human experience. Uh, it's a character flaw on my part. Except this one I feel proud of. So, you know, <laughs> you know, like William Payne would say, like, and, and I feel this, like, you know, I see my parents, they go to church, and they, they feel something. I don't feel that. I, I'm, like, missing out on something. I think that's significant. Uh, I read, and I, I read uh, I Variety of Spiritual Ideas or whatever it's called again. Uh, William yeah. James. And, 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 but that also ties in, I just want to say briefly, religious experience. contact, where... Where the main character gets slammed as not being representative of humanity because yeah. she is an atheist. Arthur C. Clarke is is the most spiritual writer, and he absolutely did not believe in any of that stuff, right? Uh, every Arthur, not, every now Arthur now C. Clarke story. Now, 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 you're confu- now you're conflating spiritual beliefs with organized religion with 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 materialism, and materialism, I argue, them, is a very much a minority view. I know you're a materialist, correct, Jesse? I think I am. Right. Well, well I am it, too. It is but I, an, I'm with you, Paul. Yeah, that it is, is a is a minority view. I mean, I'm not thinking a bad thing, but yeah, but yeah. It's, it's 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 not typical of most of humanity to be be strictly materialist. Here's what I'm saying, you guys. If you haven't read, and I'm pretty sure you haven't because you weren't on the podcast, there is a book by uh, Robert Sheckley, um, introduced to me by my friend Greg Marguerite. Uh, who's dead and has not contacted me since, although I hear his voice all the time. Um, <laughs> As do we all. <laughs> yes. Many people will for many. I, he might even call you up on the phone sometime, but it won't be him. Um, <laughs> uh, he has a book called Mind Swap, and it's hilarious. Um, it's a novel about a, <laughs> a guy who goes on one of those uh, buildings, Roman. I don't know. He's He's on a series of what's the series of funny events that happens to a dude like in candide that's picaresque picaresque yes it's a buildings roman is a is a coming of age story that's it's okay so it's not yeah it's a it's a picaresque um in which a dude um i think he enters an ad in the newspaper if i'm going from memory here it's 10 years ago when i did the show um, and, uh, it's basically travel to Mars, right? But the way they do travel, uh, through the s- space is not with rocket ships because that's too expensive. So you go on vacation to Mars by transferring your consciousness through, through, uh, I don't know, microwaves. Into an alien ice form. I think I may right. have read this years ago. Right. So it's kind of like. There's a movie like this. Uh, there is a movie like this, I think. You're right. Um, in any case, uh, it's a comedy because he gets transferred into like the body of a escape criminal <laughs> and they want to arrest him and he swaps genders and, and then he swaps uh, species. Right? Um, I read this. It's a great book. Yeah, it's really yeah, funny. And, and, and there's a role yeah. playing game called the strange, which 
basically there's the plot is people travel to various worlds by swapping by basically downloading their experiences into other bodies mm-hmm. while their regular bodies stay on earth it's it's fun um the <laughs> the tagline from the original publication in galaxy in 65 was he roamed the stars in a borrowed body, searching for his own. <laughs> so that's actually <laughs> kind of trying to get stolen. Yes, that's and right. Yes, yes, it's funny stuff. Uh, only a multimillionaire could afford star travel in the body. Only an idiot would take a chance on the other way. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah, Shackley the- is very, very, very good at this stuff. The, whatever movie ripped off his idea was like I remember seeing it as like um, kind of like a like a prurient like twelve year old on late night television and it was definitely about like the like sexual aspect of switching bodies like you know that was like something you would do when you're like doing body tourism is go have sex in their body <laughs> um, like Dollhouse yeah like Dollhouse I only watched oh the I first haven't seen Dollhouse so I don't remember it very well. That's that's the Josh Whedon show where a woman keeps getting personalities imprinted on her so that people can live out their fantasies with her, but she doesn't remember it until she starts to remember stuff between incarnations. Oh, that sounds right. good. It, 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 the, the second season kind of, I think Whedon realized he was going to get canceled. So he, so he accelerates the plot line a little too much and the, the joints do show. The first season is solid. Trish, you said you wanted so, to be on some new shows. Oh, go! You got more? Well, I'd like to actually go mm-hmm. back to the book. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? <laughs> I have more to say about the book too. Okay, <laughs> just um, uh, say some things about Compton, the narrator. Uh, as you were speaking before of a writer who's wrong about everything. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Compton starts out. Uh, uh, <sighs> with eye-rolling frequency making remarks about, you know, oh, this Dr. Myas is too French. He wears a, mm-hmm. a, a silly neck, you know, ascot or whatever it is, yeah. and, you know, too French. And, uh, later on, he is, he talks about being disgusted by music hall female impersonators. Mm. And that's how he feels <laughs> like, about Myas and Alice's body at first. And he just goes on and on about, things he doesn't like <laughs> mm-hmm. um but you know the the thing that struck me the most was that in his you know wrapping up of all this stuff tidying away this mystery uh he's he's doing this because what he really wants to do is clear his mind so he can get back to his beloved research about more important things uh researching historical letters and mm-hmm. uh, uh a the book uh, yeah, the Peninsula mm-hmm. Wars and, you know, finding letters from, from the Duke of Wellington and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, here's this great mystery of life. <laughs> and and uh, Compton treats it as a rather revolting annoyance that he wants to just put aside. Um, and so, you know, that, that was one thing that really struck me. And, uh, the Wikipedia, uh, entry that I read said, said that, um, uh, 
the writer Barry Payne, uh, you know, started out writing humorous essays and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was never sure how much social satire there was supposed to be in this. I mean, it's bunch. written awfully straight. But, you know, I was rolling my eyes, but maybe the Victorians would not have no, been, because I think it they, certainly I jives with a lot of the attitudes current one of the then. One of the one of the lines I tweeted was pretty funny from the book. Um, people who try not to be like other people are very tiresome. <laughs> it's about hipsters, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of lines like that, but I, I actually think that biography is another, actually like it's, it's another gloss on the same story. So I just got another comic book, at, uh, biography of HP Lovecraft. Um, and, uh, oh, and I tweeted about it. A different, so. a different one that, yeah. than the one we did? Yeah. Um, and this one's French. It's in color. I think it's, I think it's from, translated from French. In any case, um, it's, uh, somebody said, uh, this one has some factual errors, which is to me a problem. Um, so I, in a biography, sure it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, but, uh, that's the story, right? Is so people write about H.P. Lovecraft, uh, in a biography and it's, it's, uh, nobody likes that one, right? Because it's got some errors and some speculation. Um, that he's this or he's that. And then there's another biography comes out and this one's improved. But as I was tweeting this, I think is last week or maybe this week, um, I found a, a really interesting, I'm not the only one to find it, but I found a really, really interesting letter Lovecraft wrote in, uh, was the Omaha B, a newspaper. And it said in the news, it said that it had been, submitted to the newspaper from Omaha. There's no evidence that Lovecraft was ever in Omaha. So what does this mean? Is this mean he visited there for some reason? And then in the same newspaper, uh, decades earlier, um, his, what looks like his father, uh, sold some, some, uh, property there. So there might be a whole part of Lovecraft's biography that's missing for us, right? What did our, our, what's the narrator's name in this story? Compton. Compton. Compton, right. Okay. And what does he do, um, when he's not doing the blackmail and the, you know, dinners he didn't and stuff? Do blackmail. No. He paid the blackmail. He, 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 he did do blackmail. They, they blackmailed each other. But more importantly, what's he, what's he want to do? He wants to get back to the British Museum and do more research on this, this, uh, biography. And it turns out to be, what was it? A, a bunch of letters from Wellington. Or something like that. Uh, I don't know. It was somebody very important in the Peninsula yeah, War. It was Wellington that okay. he mentioned. Yeah. Right. So um, this would actually be a really important thing and very, uh, you know, publicly important in the sense that Wellington is very well known, even um, you know, amongst people who have read some stuff and <laughs> seen some movies. Um, he's a well-known figure, right? Um, it's like the equivalent of Churchill. On, on a level, right? So if you found out uh, a whole bunch of interesting new things, that would give us a new picture on this. And in fact, the word will, right, in the document of a will is a fascinating thing, Evan. I don't know if you know about this, Evan, but guess what? <laughs> After you die, you can still have your will done um, based on a program um, executed in someone else's brain and with someone else's hands based on what you assign to what you want done with your 
stuff after you're dead. It's amazing that we can take somebody's, a part of somebody's consciousness from a period of their life, put it on a piece of paper, and make shit happen in the world. It's kind of evil, if you think about it. Um, Seriously, (laughs) think about what I do for a living. Dead hand of the past. Right? I'm saying what you're doing is evil. Um, I mean, maybe. Well, I mean, think um, about Think about this. Um, uh, Rhodes, that guy who went out and conquered his own part of Africa and then, uh, you know, tried to unite the United States and Britain together into an evil alliance that kind of worked <laughs> out. Um, he's still throwing his weight around, even though he's been dead for what, almost oh, a century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Like Henry Ford's estate found estate still like gives money to like anti-Semitic publications. That's what I'm saying here. So, yeah. Um, the thing is, is, you know, most of the, it's actually a burden. Um, one of my uncles was the executor on my, on his mom's estate, right? And it was a burden for him, uh, to go about doing all the disbursements and doing all the calculations and trying to make everything fair and all this stuff. Um, it's, it's like a harm that we do to other people through our, our, our social structures. And so that's really what he, his job is in the story, right? Is to administer this estate. Um, he also has to protect this lady who's, uh, because she's of the fairer sex, doesn't have all the freedoms and rights as a man. And that's why she wants to be a man, even though she was a man before. So I think Barry Payne is very good at not making it super obvious. And I think maybe the people at the time are even better at at uh noticing this stuff at least subconsciously there aren't a lot of reviews of this contemporary uh, contemporary i don't think on goodreads and stuff like that but the the ratings are very high um in in general i think people appreciate this book especially maybe because it's it's not it doesn't overstay its welcome but i i don't see any missteps really uh i mean i think it's hilarious the way the phone lines work at the end (laughs) but um the fact that it, he's sort of going to his death in a uh, very calm and nice way <laughs> and, you know, directing the gardener to do stuff that he will not be around to see, you know, pick those things. We want to see it next spring, right? You know? There's a poignancy to that. Yeah. Almost like, it's like the end of the world sort of thing. Like, why are we doing this stuff? Because the world's going to end. But I mean, right. his personal world's going to end. Right. So there's a real poignancy to the whole, yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna live to see the fruits of this. Somebody, of somebody that. asked uh, if we were gonna do uh, on the podcast the follow-up books to that end of the world detective series book that came out a few years ago. Like I don't know, there's a, a comet or something coming uh, to destroy the Earth in two years, and the yeah. what, what's that book called? Ben, maybe is the author. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, nope. I read no. the trilogy and I can't think I of it. That one. <laughs> Yeah, it was a long time was it ago. Was called the pol- the last the policeman? last policeman? That's the uh, last. Pol- yeah, there is. Um, so, um, I like that book. I thought it was good. I don't know that I need to see the next one. And uh, and the person who asked about it was saying it's it's like accidentally broken into three books or something like that. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, that's a point in its favor. So. As but, has been pointed out, Jesse, you generally don't go for series. I, I mean, <laughs> think about think about this, Misa. Um, mm-hmm. which is the best Ringworld book? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
They get progressively yeah. worse, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a lot of value to be extracted from the first one, a, l- a little less from the second one. By the third one, you're going, oh, okay, I think, I think we're done. <laughs> I like the second one quite a lot. It answers some of the points I'm, that were brought up. I'm not up saying in the it's bad. Book. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, you know, there's a diminishing returns for sure. Mm. And so, so is this is this Larry Niven self criticism? Jesse saying, <laughs> I, "I shouldn't have even read that series." Uh, he didn't. He uh, people demanded it, right? This is from the period of time where oh yeah, didn't plan trilogies as much as I, I'm talking about. Your, I'm talking about you, Jesse. Are you are you are you criticizing your own reading? Yes, <laughs> I mean I'm trying to take lessons, right, and trying to make myself a better reader. Um, yeah. So, uh, but uh, the thing is, you need to do your research, and some sometimes people write about stuff. Uh, you know, just because every everyone has character flaws doesn't mean they have a character flaw on this particular topic, right? So, if you recommended a book to me, I'd have to I'd have to take it seriously. I think Evan, you were trying to uh, there was a book you wanted to talk about on Twitter, and I'm like, save it, sell me on Sunday. Oh, I wasn't serious about doing okay, it. Okay, good. <laughs> I was joking with you. Okay. There's an audio book for it. <laughs> okay. Because I was uh, reading about the Reformation. Right. Oh, that's the one that but I was, I, I was I thinking do Scott would like to read. That is the best general history of the Reformation I've ever read. <laughs> it's it's uh, people making mistakes, uh, getting all corrupt, and then people saying, let's not do that anymore. And then they solve it another way. Seems like. Shouldn't have done the whole thing in the first place. It's a very Douglas Adamsy thing. <laughs> What's uh, what was that? Uh, Yulon yeah, Kalufid's books, <laughs> his trilogy. Yeah, uh, more of God's greatest mistakes. <laughs> and who's this God person anyway? <laughs> that's right. Uh, yes, it's <laughs> funny stuff. Um, and it, notice that he wrote a trilogy in five parts himself. So. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, well, yeah, but it wasn't meant to be a trilogy. It just kind of grew. I mean, that's kind of a lot of modern publishing, but that's far away from this actual short book. I can't imagine a, a sequel to this book, Son of Son of Exchange of Souls. <sighs> well, I, I, Exchange I, I, of Dogs. I could I could imagine uh, a subsequent chapter. Uh, written by his own nephew or something like that, right? The uh, Compton's nephew. Um, I found these papers amongst my father's or my uncle's uh, estate, and uh, here's my gloss on what actually happened. And oh, look at this newspaper report of. So, like, it's really hinted very strongly, I think, in the book that uh, the face being disfigured so that the body was dis unrecognized. I think is it's it was a deliberate, not in quote quote unquote accident, as in. But then who? Okay, so then she he had transferred her consciousness into another person's body, obviously of the opposite gender, and then disposed of the original body in the same way that he slash she did it in the first in the first case, and then smashed up the equipment. Um, I I want to read this subversively. I think it it's not. I'd either have to read it much more closely again to make this thesis, which I don't think I am willing to do, or I, I didn't see that at all. But go on. <laughs> but no, no. I, like think about think about why why do these things happen? So 
usually in in cases of Superman stories, right? Uh, like stories of people getting their superpowers, whatever yeah. superpower thing that is used, like if you just, I'm going to break this down for all the people who don't, don't read the actual comics. Remember in Captain America, the first Avenger. <laughs> yes. He's, yes. he gets injected with this special pressure material, metals, or I don't know, something. And then, uh, I want to say Cobra Commander, but it's not. It's, uh, Red Skull guys. Who are they called? Uh, Hail Hydra. Hydra, Hydra guys. Hydra breaks in, in New York, and, uh, the machine is wrecked, and the recipe is destroyed, and more importantly, the only guy, uh, the bald guy who's a really good actor. The scientist What's gets killed. Yeah. Bald guy, really good actor. He was in uh, a bunch of great movies. <laughs> Anyways, the scientist guy is killed. He's pretending to have a German accent. Um, the actor is. <laughs> and he's, he's, um, it, you know, the recipe can't be repeated. So you can't make a whole bunch of super soldiers, right? That's the whole point of that story is that it's, it's one and done. We get, uh, uh, Stanley Tucci, you mean? Yeah, Stanley Tucci, yeah, he's a great actor. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a, Italian trying to do a German accent. He's not Italian, he's, he's American. But he's he a, has, he's, a, he's Italian American. I guess, but more importantly, he's in a movie called Big Night, which is really good. Yes, that's a good movie. <laughs> really <laughs> good movie. About cooking and eating <laughs> and enjoying food. Um, so, uh, uh, long story short, you have to destroy the the recipe, otherwise everybody will do it, right? And we can't have that. But once the once the equipment is destroyed um, in this story, there are attempts to like investigate how the equipment is modified so we could do it again, right? And I'm thinking like, who who wants to do this again? Well, the guy who doesn't like the fact that he's been transferred into a woman's body, right? There is a subversive way of reading it. Uh, am I crazy? I think so. Okay, that's I think possible. The book said that he smashed up the equipment because he was afraid of ha- having people discover what had happened and, yeah. and accuse him of murder somehow. Him, and her, because he was a murder. girl, and girls are afraid of. And such she burned her hair in the in the. In the oven, right? I mean, she's got. Think of how much covering up is going on in the story in general. Um, Can you imagine what burning your hair in the oven smells like? I was thinking about that. Yeah, I was thinking. (laughs) I think I was thinking people would notice, like, but maybe not. I mean, there's a lot of lies going on in this story, and I feel like the Compton is incompetent. We have an incurious narrator who doesn't really want to get involved, but gets dragged into it and wants it out of it as soon as possible, which is kind of was kind of part of my frustration with this story. It's like he's, I mean, he really is just a window on events, but almost too passively. And it's like, come on, dude! It's like this. Forget your Peninsula Award. Look what's in front of your own eyes. I, I yeah, wasn't whoever frustrated complained with that, at all. that the um, the stuff about the wills and the blackmail and all was a dis- distraction. I kind of like that stuff. I read British mur- murder mysteries and mm-hmm. stuff, and uh, uh, you know all that stuff, evil stuff about inheritance of property. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that may have been a distraction within the book, even though I enjoyed it. But the f- fact is, the whole book. To Compton, the narrator, is a distraction from what he wants to focus but on. But n- not really, if you think about that ending, right? He's coming to terms with death, 
and and mm-hmm. and our our um view uh, our actor, not our viewpoint character, uh, Myas Daniel Myas is he is a uh I mean he is literally doing what Frankenstein wants to do defeat death right. Mm-hmm. He, he's going around hospitals. He's acting "quote unquote" ghoulish, according to another doctor, right? Um, and he's doing it because he's interested in it, and he wants the credit for it. Um, and if you think about how Frankenstein worked out, right? Uh, Frankenstein uh, immediately abandons his his progeny. Um, mm-hmm. Here, he kind of doesn't abandon his progeny right away, but it kind of does. So all this stuff about like, uh, it's the, both of them have appeared before me, they're ghosts. And he's wearing that floppy tie met the first time. I think that this is all delusions. I, I, I mean, he, he even says it, he goes to dinner with some guy to ask him about it. And then at the end he says, Oh, he makes up another lie. So there's a hell of a lot of lying going on for a guy who's, um, really, Incurious, you know what I mean? Like, oh, he's covering up not just for other people's... I mean, if this if this was a true story, you wouldn't trust this guy. And he's... <laughs> I mean, he's he's uh, he's a briber. I mean, he, we, we, he actually makes himself look pretty damn good, if you think about it. Um, he doesn't really do anything immoral, right? In, in our point of view. He breaks the law, sure, but he says, I don't give a damn about the law. And I'm like, I'm right there with you. Right? I care, I care about whether I'm going to get arrested, but I don't care whether it's illegal. I only care whether it's, you know, it's right or not. And so that idea of him being incurious, I don't think is correct. I think he is curious. It's just he's, he's sort of, he's trying to be dispassionate and because he does take all those meetings and he does spend time with this guy. Um, and then ultimately he retires to the countryside and he says something like, I found I had a lot more friends than I thought I did. And they all act in a certain way that's a little bit funny towards him. I uh, thought that part was hilarious because mm-hmm. before he had been saying, you know, he goes to the country and he doesn't want to be bothered with people. And here is like, it's like if you buy a beach house, you suddenly find you have a lot of relatives. I think you didn't that that's right. <laughs> I think that's right. Is that. Really, the, this, you know, the fact that he's dealing with all this wills, the fact that he is all of the characters pretty much except for the, um, the girl and the mom are upper class twits with, you know, lots of money, uh, income and they work not, I mean, who are their patients? More upper class, upper class twits, right? Uh, with whatever not, fake not diseases. For, um, not for the one he was stealing patients from though, the, you know, yeah, yeah. That, so that, in a I poor think neighborhood, and they were all, he was paying off those people to right. use their relatives. Right. So they were poor. There, there's, there's definitely a lot of people. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of class stuff. Uh, you know, the with the drinking too much, and you know, we presume gambling debts and all sorts of stuff like that. Right. There are there are class concerns going up and down, but ultimately, this is a story of. Of rich people's problems. <laughs> and then the exploitation of somebody who is just a nice person who, you know, lives in the house of, right? It's like, I think it's, it is a more sinister story than it looks 
and feels. Hey even. Jesse, I wanna I wanna propose a a term mm-hmm. uh, for this story. Uh, it kind of touches on something you were talking about earlier, um, where uh, you were saying all this like little bits of like uh, the back and forth uh, with people and their weird like social customs, and he's like, oh, wills and stuff mm-hmm. is like kind of off to the side of the the science fictional aspects of the story, mm-hmm. and. I really think they're actually the main aspect of the story. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. And I, I call it a, it's like a tragedy of manners, right? Like, mm. like the, uh, um, not a comedy of manners. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a comedy of manners. It's a tragedy of manners. But, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things that gives it st- the story its juice is just the, like, uh, the back and forth of these, like, weird upper, upper class people with their weird customs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The judgments, like how they judge each other and how they like talk to each other like they're not judging each other mm-hmm. um, or like what they say about each other when they're not around or the insistence that I would say this uh, in front of him I'll, or I'll tell him what you said, That's like right. that kind of stuff. Um, j- the focus on what you're willing to say, what you're not willing to say. uh yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's the main thing going on. But, you know, you see that in science fiction, too, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, I, I feel like you see it in like space opera a lot. There's <laughs> a lot of space opera that's just basically about upper class people, like, oh, yeah. um, you know, and their weird customs I, I, on the cover. I'm thinking, like, who's on the cover? There's two people on the cover, right? Right. And then there's the person who's being looked at. Now, that might be us. <laughs> I, I I put this picture up and somebody said that's a st- really striking cover or something like that on Twitter. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I guess it is. And I used it for the art, even though I didn't think it was like it's not particularly interesting. But the more I think about it, it's more like that lady. That's our our subject. Right. But who's occupying her at that moment? <laughs> I, I think she's our object, actually. <laughs> our subject object, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's kind of like um, uh, a princess of Mars, right? right? Like a princess of Mars is no. not the subject of this story. <laughs> it's right. The, right. the woman is the object of the story. Well, she, she's subject to her husband, right? Um, and then she, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah. Like, I guess I'm using the sentence metaphor. Like, there's like, both. Yeah, like her her husband is the object of the st- or is the subject of the sentence, and she's the object of it. Mm-hmm. So who's that behind her in the fo- in the photo or the image? Is that our our her husband, or is that our viewpoint character? And then of course, there's no answer, right? So you just have to decide. His tie's not that floppy. <laughs> Maybe that's your clue. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, looks kind of, uh, he looks kind of, you know, like he's looking at her way. Askance, yeah, I, like, I think that is supposed to be um, uh, Dr. Myas. Uh, he looks sort of faded. So I'm thinking of him as like the astral projection or whatever that's inhabiting the very vivid uh, Alice. Yeah, that 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 tracks. Looking at this picture, but the way it's he's like looking he's... at her, it's like he's got some doubt in his mind. Like, is this is this really that person? I keep thinking about what the mom would like. The mom is basically shuttled out of this story as quickly as possible, right? <laughs> and what is she in there for? What's the point of that? What? Why does she? Why isn't she just an orphan? Right? When well, you're writing. 
Well, because that, that, that would make it harder for even her to live in this down and out area than she already, already, already does. So, there are ways of dealing with this very easily in many other stories. You know, there's the governess, you know, she, she could be so, like, the, I think the, the point is, it's to make us maybe a little, like, I'm, t- you know, I was telling you it was in the sketch, that review. The sketch mm-hmm. is a very, very light and fluffy, um, book. I mean, a lot, uh, one of the s- sort of things you would see in there is like pairings we, we want to see. And it would be a bunch of European princesses. <sighs> like, it's like a show you pick, you pick, and like the readers of the magazine are the audience for this picking, right? Oh, my son should marry her. He's an up and comer. <laughs> Right? And it's like a whole bunch of European princesses that need marrying. So it's like um, servants are are point, sources of amusement. You can't believe how many golf uh, cartoons were in there. And in fact, I think, Paul, you tweeted something about Trump golfing while the 100,000 people were dead or something. And yes. uh, I did a tweet uh, about um, who, which presidents were golfers. And how much money uh, they were worth, and uh, Jimmy Carter was near the bottom <laughs> because he's not a golfer. Of course, he was. <laughs> right. Um, and you were, well, Paul. I you think- were saying it's a, a businessman's thing, so it is definitely money, 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 a money book. Sorry. I yeah. mean, I think the mother was there to help ground Alice as a lower class person without making Alice, you know talk with an accent or something you know she, she the mother was oh no there her accent changed signifying Remember? alice's class without making alice unpalatable to the upper class readers of the story her accent changed from being a london yeah. accent to uh the upper crust accent right that was one of the nice things that he liked about her was that she was so malleable she was right so yeah and and that's again like i think this is th- that's why he's choosing her Right. He's, uh, he's talks about how he really likes his apartment. <laughs> uh, but is it the apartment or is it the access to materials? Uh, well, then that is thinking more like Frankenstein, like uh, access yeah, I, to I, materials I, as Alice as material. She is material. Well, if, if Alice Igor. had been an orphan, she wouldn't have lived in that house that her mom rented. And she certainly couldn't have lived in the same environment as a, as a, bachelor um uh without being d- disgraced before the story even gets going yeah no that, that, right it would be a life that he could actually take there's a over lot and- there's a lot important in the story about a moving you know moving people away from being i mean that's the excuse as to why it's okay for them to spend time together is because they're betrothed right and then the mom shuttled off it's okay because uh she's a widow now or whatever but the thing is is um, well, I the think, only reason she agrees to go is because she thinks it's for Alice's health. Right. And again, our narrator lying to. Yes. Uh, lies. More lies and lies. <laughs> More lies on top of lies. Um, and yeah. So I think it's supposed to be read subversively. I think that he's also not. Well, I'm not he's sure not, it's supposed he's not to be. like it's valid. He's not kicking not, in the same way that when you read Lord Dunsany, he doesn't kick his audience in the balls. You know, <laughs> and run off. He he tweaks their nose very lightly, um, and that's that's a very different thing, 
right? Criticizing, you know, your audience is different than, I don't know, yelling and screaming at your audience. We haven't heard from Evan in a while. Are you still there, Evan? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Um, can we wrap up shortly? Because oh, I figured um, Paul was... People are waiting for me. People need Paul. He needs to go game. Let's... He's an important man. Like, you know... He's the, he's the nexus. The axis. Not the axis <laughs> of evil. The axis around which... The axle around which a... A bunch of things happen. Satellite of things are happening. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Just so you know. Did we screw that up by going too long? No, 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 actually, one of the players was out sick. Good. No, no, we didn't screw it up. I don't want to be involved in fucking up your life. That's your job. (laughs) Just like it's my job to fuck up my life. (laughs) Um, All right, so uh, I got two recorders going. We're waiting for Marissa. Um, I I sent something to everybody, I think, by uh, Dropbox. No, not Dropbox. Um, to a direct message. Maybe I didn't send it to everybody. Um, what did you say? Uh, well, Trish, uh, seemed to be worried about why I sent it to her. <laughs> what, what are you saying, Jesse? <laughs> I'm, uh, well, that's my point is it's fun to say. So let's find out what, uh, so I, uh, this is a good pre chat material, I think. Um, so there was a tweet, uh, from somebody named Leona Maple. Uh, this you want to uh, talk about this? Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's not about the book, <laughs> right? And that will avoid while we're waiting up. I think that's in, it's an interesting topic because it's very, it's you'd think it would be very um a very modern thing, but I found an example of a thing it not. So I'm gonna just read it for anybody who cares, and maybe I didn't send it to everybody. I think it's I sent it to most of the people here, right? I got it. Okay, good. Uh, so it reads like this. Okay, y'all, let's talk about sensitivity readers for a sec. I'm like, what's that? And she says, hi, I'm a sensitivity reader, among other things. Hire them. I'm like, who are they? <laughs> Hire them early in your process. My process? I have a process? It will save you a lot of grief. Sensitivity readers are not your quote-unquote seal of approval just because I checked over. Your work does not guarantee that it is 1,000% unproblematic. I'm starting to get the sense of what it's what it means now. I'm just one person and one perspective. Just because you hired a sensitivity reader, it does not mean your work is above reproach. Uh, if a sensitivity reader doesn't want their name on the final product, then... And I'm like, their name should be on the final product? <laughs> Something has gone very wrong. Credit your sensitivity readers for doing the work unless they explicitly don't want to be credited in that way. Even better... Ask us. Uh, okay, I will. <laughs> a body of work. Maybe about. on an acknowledgments page. I could see it on an uh, yeah, acknowledgments yeah. page. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's what they would be talking about, acknowledgments. But, Jesse, you're well, talking like finished. this is a foreign concept it to you. It is absolutely a foreign concept. But let me finish the tweets because uh, we, we don't want to, like, you know, shortchange the ideas here. Um, 
The body of a work, uh, the body of a work a sensitivity reader, reader is consulting on still belongs to the client. You are still responsible for what you publish. Don't throw your sensitivity, sensitivity reader under the bus. I can't speak for others, but I do know that I'm not coming to charge you for asking me a question. Just come and ask. Tell me what you're doing and I'll tell you whether, whether I think you need a sensitivity reader or not. Can't afford one? Think again. Again, I can't speak for others, but I am 100% willing to flex my, uh, flex my flex. rate, <laughs> flex my rate to make it fair, but still possible for you to afford a sensitivity reader. Good, good morning and holy shit, this blew up. My name is Leona. I run Maple Intersectionality Consulting. Let me sensitivity read for you. Find out more or toss me a couple bucks on Kofi right here. And then there's a link. So did you go to our website, Jesse? I, I believe I did, but I was on my phone when I saw this. So I didn't. So I went to our website. Yeah. And, and I saw you said something about it. I'd like to hear it. It charges $50 an hour. I don't know if that's Holy what consultants. Shit. That's yeah. more than I get paid uh, as a tutor. 50 Canadian. 50 Canadian. I'm in the same neighborhood as her. She. Well, I was thinking what I charge for editing. And I do, when I edit academic papers, I like help them with like reviewer responses. And like I'm basically a function as a consultant then, but I'm charging by the word. I'm being screwed here. Yes. Especially yeah. when I saw her qualifications. What are her, her qualifications? qualifications? were like, she read Bell Hooks and W.B. Du Bois in like college or something. Holy shit. <laughs> and I'm, I'm totally thinking, undercharging. I should be worth like a thousand, a fucking thousand hour. Like, that's like, yeah, that's like a morning coffee of race theory. Holy cow. For me. Um, so, and Trish, Trish, you have something. I wasn't too impressed. But one more thing. Yeah. So. One of she really was proud of this on her website. Like she creates communities, uh, and yeah. So there, so I, like I went and I linked. There's a link, and I went uh-huh. to that. And it was a Twitter page with what a thousand followers. Uh, intersectional, intersectional gaming. I'm all pro intersectional theory. I think that's pretty. I, I dig it. I'm down with it. Um, but that's not a fucking community. I mean, the Amish create communities. <laughs> oh, now that makes sense, what you were saying, direct message. Yeah, okay, they yeah, create yeah, actual you're communities. You're, a Twitter page isn't a community. I, I don't know. Like, what we do here is pretty cool. That's but very I would insensitive never be so of you. Purposes to call it a, to <laughs> call it a community. Very insensitive No, I'm, I'm serious about this. I actually <laughs> care about community. I, I do, care about I do too, and I, I, think I, we I should kind build of disagree, I think, Evan, because, I, you know, the people I do my book reading – podcast with they're my friends right they're, yeah they're yeah. The, i mean i have a i have a local friend you know someone <laughs> I, I have a barbecue with and and there are some you know guys down the street who i'm friendly with <laughs> um i have friends but the people who i spend most of my time twittering with are my community so i I agree that they're not the same kinds of community or depth of community or annoyance of community that uh, I'm sure the Amish community is, but that's not my my basic problem. I mean, the fifty dollars an hour is. Well, is I want to stick on community. Have you guys read like Bowling Alone? This is a great. It's pretty no, old now. I don't think so. And no. it's basically it's about the decline of American community, and it's like uh, yes, I can give my personal anecdote about this. Every week, I went to the softball leagues with my dad. Uh, and I had my own, I was in Boy Scouts and church and, and all kinds of stuff like that. And he had bowling league and, you know, he's a boomer, whatever. I mean, the boomers have some good, good sides too. 
I mean, okay. that's more real community. That's actual community. And, and it's all gone now. And that's what the book was arguing, that all these institutions have been atrophied. Right. And the response to this at the time, and I, I had a friend who read it and criticized it the same way, is like, well, the Internet is creating new communities. Right. And, okay, I, I get that to a degree, but I don't know. I, I think like it's not a foundation for like a revolution. No, it's very I mean, it's very hard, in fact, to think about like what we as a group of people just talking over the, you know, voice over IP can do as a group to manifestly change the world around us physically. Like we it, like if you if I say to you, everybody, we're going out to the intersection and we're blocking it. Right. <laughs> you go to your community, Misa. Paul, you go down to the town square. Uh, we have a serious problem. But if we were all together in the same community, like literally the same city, um, that would actually be a thing, right? We'd get arrested. It would maybe make a news item in the local paper. But one crazy guy saying, my friends, my friends are with me. Not going to work out very well. So The workers support me in email. And and maybe this, you know, the fact that the Dunbar number sort of problem, you know, the fact that you can't have an infinite number of friends. Uh, well, what's it? Heinlein in uh, uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, three. Yourself should be three. Right. I remember that right. from that book. Yeah. <laughs> so if they torture you, you can only give up two people. Uh, well, I think actually he's basing that on um, real stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think, think it was so, based yeah. on real revolution. I, I think that three is a pretty standard number for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, so l- let's get back away from the community section because that uh, I mean that can be argued I guess more. But here's well, that's the f- what triggered me. Also, and the fact that I'm <laughs> apparently totally underpaid. <laughs> yes, I sh- I, I'm just bad at making money. I should like be asking a lot more. Well, for she, my editing she, services. If she she's living in uh, Vancouver, so she has the same free health care that I do. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, 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 I think I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I know I'm not overpaid, but I feel guilty charging as much as I do. <laughs> I'm like, God damn. Uh, and, uh, like I say the same thing, you know, if there is ever a student that, you know, needs a discount, I will give it to them. But if they're a rich kid, they, they pay the full freight and probably should pay more. You know, nobody ever says, Oh my God, that's a lot of money, Jesse. <laughs> um, but that's because, you know, most people don't take up the services. But the, uh, the thing is, is, um, I don't think this, this is the same thing, right? I'm a tutor. Um, I help kids, you know, sort of get better at a specific skill. And I think that that could be the job of a sensitivity reader. Although I think that's kind of crazy that you're writing a book. Like, I assume this is for, that's why I wanted Marissa to talk about this, because this is kind of her job, too. Um, maybe she was so offended by the idea. <laughs> she just decided to not join us. Um, and she's blown away. Um, but I, I doubt that's the case. But so, Trish, you're saying that, that I shouldn't be surprised about this. I don't know anything about this woman. No, neither, uh, neither I. The concept of sensitivity readers is, is certainly familiar to me. Really? I haven't written any fiction, so I haven't had any call to ask for any, but, um, I mean, if, 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 
if you are writing a uh, a book that, um, for instance, uh, ha- has you know an African American in in it, or or a group of them, you know, as as characters, and you haven't had the chance to really be educated on various aspects of uh, of um, their struggles uh you know you 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 would do well to have someone a friend or a paid sensitivity reader to do a pass through the book and just make sure you aren't making any obvious errors as to how people would act or react um in the plot i i don't know like sensitivity reader is a really broad thing to say like, yes um, I have a I have a story where the character is a, a, a 12 year old amputee, so I wouldn't contact somebody who calls herself a sem- an amp- a sensitivity reader and say, well, what do you think about how this character is portrayed and what she's feeling? I would contact an a- amputee society or, or speak with amputees themselves. Did you yeah. do that for your story? Because you're a good researcher. Yeah, that's I mean, a good that's, thing that's to do seems for research. What I come- if I were going to write about like the African American civil rights struggle in a book, I would study the hell out of that. Uh huh. And hopefully, at the end of the process, I wouldn't need a sensitivity reader. Like, Did hopefully, you- you've done your job. But I mean, I can understand. But like, that's just so big. I'm a sensitivity. Well, reader. no, no. So I, I will pay, point out. Like, I think I I looked at some of the other tweets, and basically, she's saying especially South Asian stuff. Right. So she, I guess she's South Asian, which is basically another way of saying somebody from the India uh, subcontinent or nearby. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, the thing to me is what was surprising is that it was in the, it it existed and, and that there's a financial ecosystem associated with it. So to me, um, writing as an, as a job, like, like I actually tweeted a, a, quite a few ideas out that I didn't direct and direct them at anybody. But one of them was like, um, I'll tell you right now, if you want to get paid for writing, there's lots of jobs available. <laughs> and ask me how I know. Right? Um, because, how do you know, Jesse? <laughs> because, well, because uh, you can get paid by rich people to do their homework for them. I try not to do this. I basically won't do this. Um you can also get paid by rich people to write their books for them. Um, you know, the, the vanity publications of, of, uh, a lot of uh, quote unquote intellectual, yeah, intellectual, um, people, fake intellectuals on the internet. Um, they want to have books on their shelves so that when they're doing their YouTube video, <laughs> it has books behind them, you know? Um, so if you, want to make money you can definitely get paid for writing but to me fiction writing is artificially inflated by the desire of a certain class of people to have published books behind them on shelves and so if you're able to hire somebody i didn't know it was 50 dollars an hour for 50 dollars an hour to read your book uh, you don't need to be a writer professionally. You're doing it be- for another reason. And that's crazy. Um, why would you, like, how? 
do we want to read that book? I don't want to read that book. Pretty sure I don't want to read that book. Um, but I also found this amazing, um, I just stumbled across it. Somebody was talking about this old movie I'd never heard of. And I was, I, I was reading up on it. I downloaded it. Um, doing all sorts of, you know, stuff to get me interested in the subject because it sounded really interesting. Unrelated to this tweet, except it happened in the same week. I guess a couple, of, I don't know, a couple of hours later. Um, it's a movie called White Dog, a 1982 film. Anybody heard of this film? I have not. I, I do now. I uh, heard of it. I hadn't heard of it, uh, but it's by Sam Fuller, or Samuel Fuller, who is a famous uh, filmmaker. Um, I've seen a lot of his movies, including uh, I, one of my favorites of his is The Big Red One. Uh, 19- oh, that's a great movie. Great movie, right? Um, it's funny. It's... Uh, you know, it's got scope. It feels like a World War One movie, uh, but it's 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 a great ensemble, and it's kind of a true story. It's Sam Fuller's own story. So a couple of years later, he made a movie, um, and the studio didn't want to release it. <laughs> it's called White Dog, and it's about a racist dog, a dog that had been trained to be racist against black people, and it's literally mm-hmm. white colored. Um, so what happened was the, as typical movie studios want to screen it for an audience. Um, but they didn't just do that, you know, screen it for the audience and see what the react audience reaction is so they can gauge how much they should advertise it and, you know, whether it needs to be cut and get, you know, audience reactions. So I don't know if, if you were poor when I was poor, uh, as a youth, they would sometimes, you know, get you to do product, uh, I don't know, assessment. You go into a room and you access, uh, you get paid for basically giving your opinion on something, like an ad or a product. Hmm. You, you guys in it? Yeah. Do that? Yes, I, I, I did it once with uh, actually a movie, actually. Yeah, so one of my friends had um, uh, sort of an in on this. And, of course, I was very poor, so I'll do, I'll do anything for money that isn't selling parts of my body. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I found it to be rather distasteful and unrealistic and stuff like that. Uh, on the other hand, it was money, and it was good money compared to what I was getting paid uh, elsewhere. Um, so uh, here's what happened. They showed uh, the film to an audience, but more importantly, um, I'm trying to find a section of... Uh, hold on, let me just search the page here. Is that, ah, Okay. All right. Um, After filming commenced, Paramount Pictures brought in two African-American consultants to review and approve the depiction of the black characters. Willis Edwards, uh, vice president of the local NAACP chapter, and David L. Crippens, the vice president and stage manager of a local PBS affiliate. In the end, they walked away with different views of the film. Crippens did not find the film to have any racist connotations, while Edwards found it inflammatory and felt it should not have been made, particularly not during that year when a series of murders of black children was occurring in Atlanta. The two men provided a write-up of their reviews of their views for the studio executives, which were passed to Davison along with warnings that the studio feared a film boycott. So I understand why the filmmakers are doing this, right? They're basically wanting return on investment, but Sam Fuller did not like this at all. Um, shelved the film without letting anyone see it. 
I was dumbfounded. It's difficult to express the hurt of having a finished film locked away in a vault, never to be screened for an audience. It's like some someone putting your newborn baby in a goddamn maximum security prison forever. Moving to France for a while would alleviate some of the pain and doubt that I had to live with because of White Dog. This is from his, uh, uh, I guess, biography or something. In any case, um, I thought that that was kind of a similar situation where you've got uh, somebody wrote a book and then you go in and say, oh, this is problematic, that's problematic, let's edit this out. And I was like, and there's one person, right, who's doing that. In this case, they've got two. And I also think of the perverse incentives. Like, I, I, I feel this when I'm tutoring. Some student comes to me and says, here's my paper. How do we improve it? And if I have nothing to say because there's very little to improve, that actually hurts me financially. It's a perverse incentive. And I feel like, uh, especially if I'm feeling a, a pinch, a monetary pinch, I feel like that I've got pressure on me to, from my own self, to find mistakes where there aren't any. And... So what I tend to do is I say, you know, only thing we can do here is, you know, maybe look at the criteria again and see if there's anything you missed. Right. But this, this, this is kind of like, it's crazy. I I just think this is a crazy, a crazy weirdness. I'd never heard of it, Trish, but it makes sense if you think of the economy of how it works. Uh, I can only say you must not at all read the same, follow the same people on Twitter that I do because I've <laughs> yeah. come across this over and over again. Really? Um, well, yeah. I, yeah, like like Kate, like uh, like Tempest, for example. There's a lot of sensitivity reading. I understand. Tempest is a person. Kate Tempest Bradford. Yes. Okay. All right. She's also a writer too. But she yeah. Also does sensitivity reading. So. Uh, so, first of all, I've never heard of a sensitivity reader who is paid per objectionable thing that they found. <laughs> it's all, you know, no, no, it's by the hour. It said, right? Give your reactions. Um, you know, it, it's it's paid for you, pay for your time or project, not per reaction. Um, <laughs> no, no, of yeah, course, that but would be a perverse yeah, incentive, indeed. Actually, work in the other direction. So, like. Who are you going to hire? The sensitivity reader who says, "Oh yeah, this is good," or the sensitivity reader <laughs> yeah, who you says, don't need me. "Um, hey, like, don't do that." Um, uh, well, obviously, every writer should do their research, but research can have gaps. You know, if if you you don't want to be someone who's who's studied who thinks they've studied the african community and then start saying i speak jive um you know <laughs> dating yourself or you know finding other gaps in that's your a, knowledge this piece. is more about you know stuff that you don't know you don't know or you know thinking you know something about quote asian culture when you know really that's <laughs> just a silly you know you could get into a lot of trouble if you thought that you know some korean uh family ritual applied to all of china too or something like that or or, or, or even simple or even something as simple as say character names for example to to give a wide no example cho chang <laughs> I don't know this I, example. 
that, that's a character from Harry Potter, Jesse, oh, which okay. is probably why you don't know I only it. read the and, first one. Yeah, that's you in every series, um, yeah. unless it was by Larry Nevin. But, uh, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> good point. Um, what's the, um, what's anyway, the issue with that uh, name? So Two last I, names? Well, I think it just is like that's like the only Asian Sorry. character in the book or something, and okay. her name's Cho Chang. Um, so people think that's kind of like um, like in poor taste. Like uh, Cho is more Korean, anyways. Yeah, I think the uh, I mean Joe's. It's yeah, Joe and Cho. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think the the benefits of this are pretty straightforward. Marissa's talked about like what it actually looks like in her like you know professional job what she does to look over things i think um my problem with this is uh you know whose uh responsibility is it to uh uh pay for uh a book to have like somebody look over it to make sure it's like uh uh not messed up in a way that's like not obvious to the person who wrote it like that is pretty straightforward the question is is this like the responsibility of like uh, uh, the author before they sell try to sell the book to a publisher, or is this just for self-publishing authors? Like, there's a lot of <laughs> questions like that. Uh, for me, it seems like that this should be uh, the publisher's responsibility to retain people to take care of this, kind of like in the the white dog situation, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't the filmmaker's responsibility to like. Um, hire two very rich black people to like watch this movie to see if it applied to all black people, you know, like, so there's like, there's problems with the, I don't know the if it's very of, rich, but they're definitely, yeah. uh, not starvation. Like, yeah. They, they well, I mean, much of this stuff connected. is done in house these days anyways. I mean, so much gets, uh, outsourced. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's just, uh, my problem with it is it puts the pinch on the author. Um, so it's like my responsibility as an author to like, uh, pay a bunch of consultants to look over my novel before I sell it to a publisher who's like going to make more money off of it than I'll make off of it. But it's my responsibility to do uh, this work ahead of time. Um, I, I just I don't think the economy of scale makes sense for individual authors to like uh, be responsible for. I think it's uh, a grift. I think it's a grift on everybody's part. Yeah. The, somebody's grifting themselves. They think that this this is going to help their book uh, because if that's where your mind goes, that I need somebody to view my book for fifty dollars an hour. Um, look, Will, you were asking me if I wanted to read your short story for you. Um, I'm happy to do so. Um, I will give you my sensitivity feedback for it. I'll do it for free because you're a friend of mine, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Especially I if mean, it's a short uh... story. If you say it's a novel, I, I'm like, I don't know if I want to spend that much time on it. And I, I don't know the quality you're writing. You're probably not in Larry Niven, you know? <laughs> I, I, I'll take that one as a compliment, maybe. Hey. Uh, um, so, you know, in anything I write, there will not be like a 300 year old man with a 19 year old girlfriend. I promise Damn you. Damn it. Like... I was hoping. <laughs> uh, you know who needs a sensitivity, uh, like, I don't know, trainer? Um, uh, it's funny is this morning, there's a story on, on, uh, it's on YouTube, but it's on Twitter, uh, Joe Biden introducing, uh, a singer, uh, a blackface singer as Michael Jackson and also as Prince in a, like a fundraiser. And the thing is, is the jokes aren't funny, right? Um, 
mean, they're the not joke funny. Is that's totally normal to every white man that age. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just like, that's the joke. Like, it's the, the joke is that he's, he's still running for president. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is fucking nuts. Um, you know, the prime minister of Canada, like, play dress up. He, he really liked makeup. I think what he's doing as a prime minister dressing up as Aladdin and, uh, other black folks or brown, <laughs> brown folks, um, is actually less insensitive <laughs> than, you know, that. But honestly, um, nobody cares. The only people who care are very strange people, I think. Like, he's still, who's still going to vote for him, right? Raise a hand if you are. That's the crazy part. And, and, uh, you know, he, he can apologize now, just like the prime minister of Canada can apologize for what he did, you know, then. But I think it's a character thing. If you're, if you're, if you're writing a story and it has really shitty evil stuff in it, that's a character problem, not going to be fixed by just, you know, changing the word. And in fact, I think that the, that tread, I actually tweeted something uh, very similar. I was thinking about this idea is, um, so I saw somebody talking about, uh, it was David Pakman talking to somebody I don't, <laughs> I like Michael Brooks better than David Pakman. Uh, I'm talking to uh, Evan. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should like him more. Okay. So David Pakman's talking <laughs> to Joe Rogan about, uh, what Bernie did wrong. And he says, socialism is, is just tainted. And I'm like, look, you have three choices in life. When people are spreading lies and rumors about you, one, you can ignore it. Two, you can argue it. Three, you can change your name. Pakman's for changing your name, right? He says, don't call it that. It has too much baggage. And I'm like, yeah. And if you do anything other than two, your name is bitch because somebody got you. Um, this is why we have to keep changing the phraseology around words that we don't like. And the people who are doing that case, are actually Jesse, controlling I, shit. I don't know. Like the thing is, Pac-Man actually had a point there that I think is, I mean, I, I never watch his crap, but. <laughs> Let's, He's let's, right about one thing. Sanders was not running as a socialist. He was running as a social democrat. That's true. And maybe I think deep down he probably is a socialist. FDR. I mean, yeah. he probably deep down is a socialist. I, I bet, like, if you, you know, give him a few beers, he's going to say worker controls are the means of production or whatever. But if that's I not how he my ran. Mother, who cares? And like, uh, you know, to, come close to your mic, Will. I said, and I love I my know. mother. Who cares? You know, like, who cares what yeah. I believe in my heart? Yeah, I agree. And more importantly, I, think of what think of what he I did. Thought Sanders he did. should have. I always thought Sanders should have done more of the FDR stuff than the Denmark stuff. Absolutely. From the beginning. And more yeah. importantly, like, what did he do? He endorsed Biden. So whether he's a socialist, what, like, what, what lost him it? Uh, you could argue it all day. Um, and I guess that's what they are doing. Um, but I think it's a mistake to, to let people define you. And look, I, I, I know people do change their names. Like somebody like fucks up your life. Um, you know, calling you names. Maybe it's uh, because you're guilty 
of that crime, or maybe it's not, you're not. Maybe your family did something, you know, if your name's, last name's Hitler, <laughs> I can understand why you want to change your name. Just make your life easier, right? But they're making you do that. And that is a, a very bad move. And so, look, it, I think it makes sense uh, to have somebody read your stuff. And in fact, that uh, one of the definitions of a friend is somebody who will call you on your shit, right? <laughs> Say, what are you doing? That's ridiculous. Privately, your your breath stinks. Come on, man, take a take a take some of this gum I have take in my the pocket. Tic-tac. Right, take the tic tac. Um, and a a person who you know a str- a stranger in a similar situation saying that same sort of stuff, very bad for you. So I un- understand maybe that professional relationship. Uh, allows you to be objective, especially if you're paying for it. But these are rich people problems. $50 an hour? I've never made that much money. Never. Never. I can't imagine. Now, maybe she's the best <laughs> at her job in the world. But I think she's just found the... Right, if she's actually getting paid for that job. Um, and maybe that flex starts right away, right? I don't know. But if she's getting paid actually $50 an hour, I'm in the wrong business because I could do this all day. <laughs> I mean, I'm a slow reader, but I, I make a lot more money. And <laughs> But it'd be a grift, and I'd know it is a grift. Right? I'm grifting the rich. So. Um, so it is, any of you know about this, this, uh, this, this website, Does the Dog Die? No. Oh, oh, is that There's a um, website? Uh, it's, it's like a yeah, sensitivity I kind of website. This. I don't it's, think it's a, it, it's a it's like a wiki kind of thing. Uh-huh. And it, it, I think it has its use because people are triggered about things. It's not just <laughs> does a dog die in films, it's abortion, oh. cats dying, cancer, right. and so you can search the movie. You know uh-huh. how you have those Christian movie review sites that say like, oh, this has so many swear words or whatever, right, 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 or this this much sex, and that that can be useful for Christian parents or whatever, right? So I think this site has its use, but you know, I think it's. So you 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 research it's so weird what to me. It's, is that what it is? You research what triggers you, and you kind think of. it's going to be in the movie. Crowdsourced yeah, emotional it, spoilers for movies, TV's this, books, but, and more. <laughs> but I wonder if someday, like, their diet dogs just won't die in movies, mainstream <laughs> movies. That that might be. And the thing is, like, you know how in the in the, you scroll, you're watching the credits of the movie, and there's that line like. No, no animals, animals were harmed in the making of this movie. Mm-hmm. I always hated that because I'm pretty fucking sure they catered a lunch at some point during the making <laughs> of that movie. <laughs> no, they're all vegans. So now. don't tell it's me no fine. animals were harmed in the making of that movie. <laughs> so I actually tweeted this and no one replied or, or <laughs> I like I, that I, though. I, I was not violated the no. first time. Say it again. Evan? Evan? Oh, Evan, we lost Evan. We lost our He went out in like a like a like a fury of burning passion. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, he'll be back. <laughs> Maybe he needs to turn his VPN on or off. I don't know. Um, look, I think that it, it's funny. I'm I'm wa- I, I watch a new show, you know, on Netflix, and it says in the top left hand corner all the things that are in it. You know, like. And normally we'd call these spoilers. <laughs> Smoking. That's that. That's that's not. A, that's language. We had this argument, Jesse. That's not a spoiler. Uh, spoiler does the dog die, Paul? <laughs> oh, 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 
Well, that that is a spoiler, but it's just saying smoke. I mean, the content warnings on stuff is not are not spoilers, oh, but wow. is but the whole does the dog die? That is a spoiler. I see the point of because there are some things that people really, really don't want to deal with and would rather I avoid think that, if at all possible. You know, I mean, I mean, there, I ta- there, there are things that there are things that trigger me that would. I don't really want to see, given my history and the things I've gone through, in a story. I've never used this website, but I can see I can see how it could be useful for some people who who don't want to face some dark stuff to them that they really don't want to handle. Well, uh, yeah, but I think this is too short. This is like the the people I I know who are poor, like super poor. They have no time for this sort of stuff. It's just like it doesn't show up in their their registry. <laughs> you know, like it's just not. I I know there are people who are religious who are worried about. It. So uh, I have a like a friend who who I I kept saying uh, I think it was God damn it, um, uh, and I was like. He, he asked me, Jesse, can you please not say that? I'm like, oh, why are you, why are you saying that? You have no problem with me saying, fuck you and <laughs> whatever, whatever other swearing things I'm saying. Um, and his explanation was really good. Um, you know, he said, and he didn't go too deep into it, but he, he says, when I was deployed, I, I used that and that helped me. <laughs> so it's like, oh, see, he had it wasn't a religious thing, right? It wasn't because he's. Uh, I said, is it okay for me to say, uh, uh, God damn, it, uh, no, Allah be damned or whatever? And he said, yeah, it's fine, because <laughs> I was trying to figure out what 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 the what the trigger problem was, um, and it was, you know, it's like PTSD sort of thing, but. I think if you're deployed and you're under fire, um, that's an actual thing. Um, as opposed to, I don't like it when dogs dies because I don't like it either. Yeah. But what's that first, what's the John Wick movie? I mean, the whole point of that movie, the dog dies right at the beginning so that the, I mean, it's, it's actually a really stupid movie. Um, I, I think it's a bad movie too. It's stylish, but it's, and it's it, that whole premise is his dog is killed and now he's out for revenge. It, eventually, you know, cause you can't kill the wife cause that's been done too many times. I don't know. Probably lethal weapon movies or whatever. Well, well that's called, it, that's called fridging, Jesse. Oh, whatever. Now they're fridging the dog, Paul. It's just bad writing, <laughs> right? It's just yeah. bad writing. And bad writing, I think, is caused in large part by imitating things that are too commonly imitated. Like, if you go like what what I say to my students when they're writing, I say, you know, you you find something interesting, some piece of writing you like, you take it as yours by rewriting it and saying, this is important. I like this part. And you re like just as a, a way of learning to write, you take the sentences and flip them upside down, right? You, you start at the end and you work your way to the beginning. And start at the end of the paragraph and work your way to the beginning. And each sentence is an idea and you put it all together. And it ends up being very useful for them. But if you did it on something, you know, super recent, I don't know, Deadpool or something, (laughs) that's not recent, something super recent, it wouldn't work as well because people would be too familiar with it and it would be feel stale. And like, uh, so I, I just think this is like, 
this is a class thing more than anything else. Mm. We lost you for a while there, Evan. You were uh, talking yeah. about the vegan vegan uh, shoots. Maybe they do say that now in the end credits. Now this, uh, all the catering was vegan, right? Maybe uh, didn't didn't Samsung I don't or think so. I don't think that's it. what they mean. Somebody came out with a vegan phone. If, if a bunch of cows die, no one cares. I think that's obviously true. I mean, vegans care. Vegans care, <laughs> but you know, the cows care. <laughs> the cows do care. Like, <laughs> probably most importantly. Yeah. Uh, and that brings us to the, today's topic. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, God. <laughs> also, uh, okay, Trish did not I like this. It's a good segue, Jesse, because, <laughs> I you know, uh, basically our, our author here, hey. or not our author, our, our character here is... Um, Are you saving this? You know, uh, he's like of this like moneyed class that's like, hey, he's like looking over a book for, for a, a minute. Yeah, Let's for get started. Okay, Are we bud? recording yeah. for the podcast yet? We're, yeah. uh, we can't until we do the voice thing at the beginning where everybody says their name. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. And the order is. The order is Jesse Paul Evan or Misa? Probably Evan. No, I think Misa still is ahead of Evan. Okay. It's close, okay. though. Yeah, All right. Jesse, Paul, Misa, Evan, uh, and then it would be Will, Will I Trish. think. Trish. Will Trish. Yeah. yeah? Yeah. Everybody good? Okay. Okay. Um, I, You know what I didn't do is I, I meant to uh, dig out um, the e-text. Let me just do that real quick. Talk amongst yourselves. E-text. Of uh, what's the name Evan, of this book? Thanks for that um, review of Picard. Jesse told me it came from you. Oh yeah, that was well, I follow Red Letter Media. That was so, so funny. So good. Really, very like. I mean, I never heard of this guy before, but um, <laughs> well, that's just uh, Mike Stoklasis, but he's created that character. Yeah, it was. He's, very... he's done all the Star Wars, all Star Trek movies, all the Star Wars movies, Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters. They're pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. funny. Very funny. This one, I think he's really depressed because it's not as like comical as some of the others. Oh, really? This one is just, pretty funny. I think this one is just, I think Mike is, Mike Stoklasis is in deep depression over Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Last night I tweeted, um, I, I I tweeted a uh, one of those stupid things. I hate I hate it. I I couldn't think of something better to to class it with. It's uh, wired and tired, you know. <laughs> uh, ti- Woke bespoke. Yeah, like that. So it was uh, tired stormtroopers, uh, wired cobra troopers <laughs> you know, from the GI Joe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Yo uh, Joe. I, and the thing is, is I know almost nothing about GI Joe, but I, for whatever reason, I found an emoji to answer somebody with. I like answering with emojis, and it was a uh, character I, I sort of vaguely recognized as GI Joe, and it was uh, a, a Baroness. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> this is right. In your I like GI Joe. Uh, the thing is, is I'm, I'm finding myself incredibly intrigued by their. They seem like sort of a shitty uh, X Men villain style universe, you know, like yes. like uh, you know, Magneto's got he's got a great backstory. Baroness, eh, it's okay. <laughs> Does she need a backstory? Oh yeah, like, I mean, I want to know. I want to know them to be really interesting because I want to sympathize with 
with the with the Cobra Commander. I don't know what he wants. He don't. Oh, what I does he do, want? Jesse, you need to watch G.I. Joe the movie. Cobra Commander has like a great science fictional origin that will blow your mind. All right. I'll get you to argue that for me later on. Um, there is a, uh, a quote at the end of this book. Does anybody have a translation? I did. I, okay, I wrote I'm it on down the last where, page um, here. Yeah, it, it's... Um, All right. Let's, let's, let's uh, do this, the intro and then we'll get started with the actual uh, material. Eh? Yeah. All right, here we go. Hey. Uh, yes, it's, uh, don't we all agree? Here we go.